oftentimes in life, circumstances require being viewed from alternate perspectives in order to gain new insights and awareness around them. Like stepping back from a painting of little shaded squares until it reveals the clear intended picture. Welcome to Pixelated Perspectives, the podcast intended to offer new perspectives into your health and overall well-being, explained through the lens of German New Medicine. I'm your host, Tanya Berkwin. I'm an artist, family woman, and nature and life enthusiast. So let's get into it. All right, well, welcome back to Pixelated Perspectives. I'm Tanya, and today I'm so excited to welcome back Evan McDermott to the podcast for another episode. I know this is really going to be gem-filled. Evan joined me last summer on the show, and he shared his wisdom and insights, and we, we touched on a lot of topics. But if you haven't listened to this episode, I encourage you to have a listen after this one. And I'm going to leave a link in the show notes, though, but it's called Interconnectivity. But it really just provides a a great intro into who Evan is and the work that he puts out into the world. So, yeah, I highly suggest listening to that episode. Um, Just a real quick intro for those who may not be familiar with Evan's work. He's an author, a teacher, a spiritual coach, uh, the host and producer of his own podcast, The Fifth Dimension Podcast. Yeah, he's putting out so much content over various topics, so I'm really excited to get into this. Evan helps align people to their highest purpose, and uh, he's just part of this generation of lightworkers that see beyond the illusion of our current way of living, and he's working to shift the earth uh, and its people into the next evolutionary paradigm. So welcome back to Pixelated Perspectives, Evan. It's uh, wonderful to share space with you here again. I feel the same way. Thank you so much for having me. And that's probably a better introduction that I could have given myself. So thank you for that. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) Good, good. Well, I'd love to begin with just asking how how your journeys progressed and how it's evolved just since the last time we spoke, because it was last August. And as you know, everything is shifting so quickly. Um, yeah, the narratives, just everything. So I'd love to just get into mm. what you've been up to lately. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I feel like a whole different person than I was last summer, to be perfectly honest with you. It's it's kind of it's kind of wild how just to look at how as as the narrative changes in the world and all of these things continue to unravel how our own focus just it continues to evolve and and i would say deepen uh i i would say you know i've been continuing with my podcasting and writing certainly and you know the the foundation of who i am certainly has not changed but it's interesting because a lot of my interests have been let me uncover the a lot of the origins of who we are maybe that looks at like the origin stories or that's really uncovering um, the, the deeper levels of truth of how we define ourselves what are sort of the unconscious stories we operate on and so i've been really diving i'd say a lot of my work has been in sort of that realm that focus and just to because a lot of people i guess want to change the world without actually understanding one what the world is and two their own relationship to the world and who they are so I, I think it's important to gain a, a very solid foundation of what the story that we operate on for ourselves is. I mean, Carl Jung said that everybody operates on a myth and most people don't know what that myth is, right? And so they run around in the world and, you know, they're operating on their shadow. Like that's sort of the unconscious driver of our actions. And, you know, I look at the state of the world and I think it's just a call, uh, manifestation of our collective unconscious or unconscious shadows that are really emerging. Uh, so it's felt important for me to really dive into the role of, of the stories we tell ourselves, the stories we have about the world, and ultimately how that's fueling a lot of these different agendas and things that are coming down the line. If anything, I, I'm not super focused in terms of what happened yesterday with the World Economic Forum and Davos, certainly to a degree I am, like I pay attention to these things that they're saying and presenting, but my, my focus is really on what is their, because these, these people that I guess if we're, you know, and that's a, I try not to other anybody, even if they are the Bill Gates of the world and whatnot, you know, um, just because really the only enemy is our own, uh, I would say tendency to separate and divide and perpetuate this cycle. Um, but a lot of the people who are driving the direction of the world are 
seven steps ahead of where we are right now. And they don't mind us debating about what they did yesterday. So trying to really have a, I'd, I'd say a sight on what this sort of end goals are and what sort of the agenda humanity is moving in alignment with right now. And so what are these alternative solutions that we can propose and really ground ourselves in so that we're also seven steps ahead and not sort of one day wake up and realize, wow, this all, like it did not, everything changed and we were so busy. Uh, I guess we didn't even see it coming, right? There's a lot, there's still a lot. We're, we're in the early stages of a massive collective transition period. And we kind of need to take conscious action into what that transition is going to be. So that's sort of been my focus. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And it's so imperative that point you made about not focusing on yesterday, but yeah, the agenda is moving so quickly. And if we have, we're just oblivious to what the end goal is, we're gonna, we just fall right into it. It's, Mm -hmm. you can see it so clearly happening. So yeah, bring in awareness to what the agenda is and, and, and why, and what are they using to, to roll it out? You know, what tactics Mm -hmm. are they using? These are all things we need to be aware of. So your social media posts lately and your Substack posts, they've been highlighting so well everything you just said, because, you know, it's, it's things that before I pressed record, you were talking about transhumanism and how, you know, last year when we spoke, you might not have been able to even get a, give a de- definition of that and yeah. nor would have I, but look at what we're upon right now. So Kim, do you want to get into this whole topic? Yeah, sure. I know that you did a pretty recent podcast episode yourself and brought on an expert in the field and yeah I'd love to just get into that it's Absolutely. I like you're you had a post about virtual children <laughs> a couple weeks ago or that I don't know it just really was like I couldn't couldn't believe it but again you brought that to my attention so yeah we need to delve into this I think. yeah absolutely and you know transhumanism is something like you said last time we spoke I mean mate I it's almost sort of like one of those things that it feels like it popped out of left field all of a sudden it's like whoa trans for me transhumanism is now front and center i think mm-hmm. i first was introduced to it and i've t- i've had many conversations with a man named james tunney who i was first introduced to the concepts of transhumanism uh, from and i act- it's funny enough i i'm releasing another podcast with him later today so <laughs> him and i just had a three and a half hour conversation on this topic alone last week. So, I mean, the, the, the amount of depth that there is to this subject, um, it's, it's so deep how it runs, but really, uh, for anybody who doesn't know what transhumanism is ultimately the best way I could explain it in a, in sort of a short summary is it's the, the merging of man with machine, with technology, right? Ultimately the transhumanist goal is to, and, and this is from their own their own words. This is the Yuval Noah Hararis of the World Economic Forum and the Klaus Schwabs. You know, they are taking conscious, well, I, I personally don't think it's very conscious, but taking control of the evolutionary process of mankind and using technology to quote unquote enhance us or you know, that's where the phrase hackable animals comes from when you know people at the World Economic Forum. You know, they, they said humanity is a bunch of hackable animals. We're, we're meant to be uh, essentially intelligently designed by these ultimately technocrats, right? And uh, so really transhumanism, what it seeks to do is it takes humanity and basically puts us into a state of automaticity. And automaticity is essentially uh, just the continuous... Uh, unconscious actions is, is essentially what's making up our lives, right? We would go through life without any sort of conscious thought. Everything would sort of be in just a loop pattern, right? It's sort of how like a machine operates where it has a, a bunch of preset different codes, a bunch of preset different conditions on how it can operate. And there's no variability within that. There's no obviously individual expression in a machine. I mean, because it's a machine, it doesn't have that sort of life doesn't have that spirit. Mm-hmm. So when you when you put mankind into a state of automaticity, and we're already beginning to see this, where people wake up and they immediately start thinking, they immediately 
uh, go onto their phones. They immediately connect to the technology. They immediately go to the job. They, they, they don't have this sort of deeper connection to spirit or deeper connection to what is their own purpose? What is the purpose for us being here? What is sort of, who are we on a deeper level? Those questions don't get asked because it, it essentially creates a very surface level automaton that becomes a worker bee in this much larger machine, right? And so the, the transhumanist goal is, is to create that state of awareness within all the individuals of the world to fulfill this great reset agenda. You know, it ties into all of these different agendas, the, the visions of agenda 2030, great reset, where you have all these different um, draconian policies. It's not really possible if individuals are consciously aware of what they want and who mm -hmm. they, the, the lives that they know that they're meant to live, right? In a purpose-driven, conscious, uh, connected to the sacred, uh, connected with nature. None of that, you, you, you can't have a global totalitarian system when the majority of individuals are in that mindset. So uh, it sort of creates this mindless, working uh, slave system for this technocratic agenda in the elite, 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 like the top of the food chain elite. Uh, they are essentially just going to enrich themselves and have total control of the global population. Uh, and that's sort of the goal of transhumanism. I mean, will that mean man becomes a cyborg? I mean, it's certainly possible. It's certainly, it sounds like science fiction, but I mean, even at this last uh, World Economic Forum meeting in Davos, I think it was the owner of Nokia or something. It might've been Nokia, one of those cell phone companies who was talking about how, oh, by the year 2030, we're not going to have actual cell phones. They're going to be built into our like skin and you can use them and they're going to be connected to our brain, right? And so they're already, they, they really want to attach us to this larger cloud system, this larger mm -hmm. smart grid system so that there is no escaping this reality that they have created, right? I mean, and the obvious ethical questions come up when we talk about transhumanism in the sense of who decided this is the best option for humanity. And two, what do you do with the people who are not going to comply with this? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, those, those are very obvious ethical questions, in my opinion, but those are not, obviously, those are not going to be discussed at the highest level. And mm -hmm. we're not, and we don't see these conversations taking place in governments or in, you know, legislation, even in like the United States, for example, some people think that, oh, there's politicians who are speaking about freedom and protecting our rights. And maybe that's true to a degree, but there isn't really any large figures or any institutions or organizations doing a lot of work to actually uh, prevent this type of plan from being implemented. Even someone like Elon Musk, for example, he's creating the, the self-driving cars. He's, he's shooting up the satellites that are going to connect us to the smart grid and connect to the technology they put in the body, right? So, uh, and hopefully this doesn't sound too morbid in the sense that there isn't anybody coming to save us, but I think it provides an opportunity uh, for us to really get clear on what it is that we want on an individual level, right? I mean, I read something, like you mentioned that article about the virtual children. I read that in the sense where virtual children are going to replace real babies by... 2050. Like, that's not something I want. I'm not going to go along with that. So just, just in the knowing that that is what the plan is for mankind, mm -hmm. I can make a conscious decision now in this moment to align myself with my own value system, with my own um, vision that I have for myself and potentially for the globe. Certainly, I don't want to impose my own vision in a totalitarian sense, but I want to propose solutions and alternative paths that we can walk um, and ultimately realign with the essence of who we are, which is in our spiritual consciousness. When, you know, this transhumanism, this, this plan, it's not like it, even though, for example, you mentioned that we maybe just learned about it in the last year, this is something that has been in the works for hundreds of years. The history of this goes so deep in the scientific community I mean, in the eugenics movement, the eugen the definition of eugenics is the self, um, so the self driving of humanity with our own technology and through the use of like genes and biology, right? And that's no different than transhumanism, only with a technological lens. So, 
all of these ideas are very, very old, right? And even Rudolf Steiner said over a hundred years ago, this scientific material worldview will eliminate the human spirit if we don't mm -hmm. actually snap out of it. And so for me, I look at where we are right now. And, and James Tunney told me this when I last talked to him, you know, he kind of looks at it like a chessboard in the sense where it's not the beginning of the game. Like we're maybe two, three moves away from that sort of checkmate scenario. So we actually, we really need to take that conscious action now, instead mm -hmm. of by the time it's 2030 and all of these technologies are already being put into people that that feels like a point of no return to me, but I mean, we still, we still got time. We still have the potential to act in our own empowerment. So for that reason, I don't sit here and just, despite it being a very heavy subject, I don't sit here and, you know, mourn about it or let it really impact my own vibration. If anything, I feel empowered and I feel alive and it's fuels me to continue to do this kind of work because you know, we have to do it <laughs> like the future of mankind is at stake here. So, you know, we, we got to do it. And uh, it, it's such a, a complex, it's complex subject in terms of the depth and its roots and how deep it goes. But I would say that's a, that's a, that's sort of the essence of what it is. And, you know, we can certainly ex expand more into that. Um, well, that yeah. really highlights the, yeah, the implications of what it is and yeah, the end goal. So no, it was, that's a great explanation. Thank you. It, it helps us all understand the, the importance of realizing and having this awareness. And like you said, we, we do have time, but I feel like it's almost crunch time too. Like we have time to choose. This is, this is a choice that we're all arriving at, mm -hmm. but without the awareness of the transhumanism implications, we don't even realize. So that's why you um, really projecting your resonance into, into the world through your posts and, and your, your podcast, it helps people wake up as well. It helps people raise their consciousness and, and realize that they have a choice. And, and it's every single person has to really decide now at this point. Um, yeah. yeah. So awareness is awesome. This is, it's a must. Yeah. So. And, and it's a good time to come into very conscious. Um, I would say, empowerment in all of our own choices, right? I mean, we're already seeing things like the virtual reality headsets and things like that, right? I've already made it clear within my own conscious, you'll never see me wearing one of those virtual reality headsets. I'm not going into the metaverse. I'm not going into any of these sort of virtual lands. Like, and that's just, it's, it's a small action, but it's something it's like, okay, if, if I acquiesce to, oh, let me, I'll, I'll, I'll take the convenience of this technology, right? I mean, we all do it with our own phones. We do it with a lot of, here we are sitting on Zoom, which mm -hmm. if you look at the letters of it, the first three letters are zoo. So we're kind of in a, a virtual zoo in a sense already <laughs> just by being here, but we, we, we're willing to make sacrifices to a certain degree and that's fine. But we, we need to find a, a spot. Where is it that we actually are going to draw the line for ourselves individually? And for me, like I, I'm not going to, further go along with any of these new technologies because I know what they lead to. Right. And that's, and that's one, I would just say way to have your own conscious awareness of it. It's because if, if you're going to create a virtual reality escape land for people, the only reason people are going to want that is because this reality that we're in now is so, so miserable and terrible because it's a, uh, I don't know, uh, basically what they're creating with this great reset agenda, that's going to be like the escape where people can have these, create these fulfilling and beautiful lives in the virtual reality land. It's almost like a game of Sims or something. I don't know, but, and so don't, can't we create that in this world, in this reality? Like we don't need some of this technology. We don't need that. Right. So that's, that's a, I would say one way to at least become empowered in our own actions, find, find our own value system, find what it is that we actually want and recognize how our own choices do play into this larger agenda. All of this is only going to happen with our own consent. I mean, if we allow it to happen, then it's going to happen. If we don't allow it to happen, then it's not going to happen. It's really simple. It can't, it can't happen without our consent. So I think that should be empowering for people to recognize you know, how much power they do have, even if it's not on a global scale per se, but within their own community. I mean, it, it's, it, to me, that, that makes the solutions very simple. It's just non-compliance. I mean, there isn't some sort of, 
we don't we don't need to come up with a solution that is is as intricate and in depth as something like the Great Reset, where they have all the. If you were to go to the World Economic Forum's website, they have about fifteen to twenty different areas of uh, areas of focus that are on their website. And I've looked at all of their different mission statements and whatnot, and they've put a lot of time and a lot of effort into that with a lot of different quote unquote experts, right? This is not the work of one person. So in a way we have to unite and recognize our own strengths. Like I can't go on the World Economic Forum website and debunk all 15 to 20 of those mission statements because I don't know about all of those subjects, right? I, I have my certain levels of awareness and a good example is agriculture. They talk about using GMOs to nourish the population. Well, I know, I know based on the research, I know that GMOs don't actually nourish people. And there <laughs> and a lot of the things that they're doing in this sort of cash cropping mechanisms uh, are actually destroying the planet, right? So that's just one example of, oh, I see what they're talking about on their website. And I know that's a lie based on my own experience and based on what I've researched. So therefore, I feel empowered to talk about and bring truth to this subject. And I think everybody has the ability to go on and look at what this agenda is about. Look at all the different areas, whether it's cybersecurity or education or, you know, they have, they have a whole plethora of subjects and then find what their own niche is and what their, I guess, expertise is in and then bring truth to that subject, bring truth to, uh, you know, the... I guess what we need, because I can't go on and debunk all those things. You can't go on and debunk all those. Well, maybe you can. I don't, I, maybe you have like some genius abilities. Like I, I wouldn't <laughs> shock me, I suppose. But, you know, we, we really need to unite and come together and actually create a greater vision mm -hmm. together and combine all of our individual visions. Like it's easy to go into a lone wolf mentality right now in the sense of I need to do this, do this, do that. We actually, we really need to come together and work together to create these solutions and have the conversations about what is the truth and what is it that we actually need mm -hmm. um, and then go from there. I mean, we can't do it all by ourselves. And I, I like to try and do it all by myself. Sometimes I have that like mindset instilled into me. I don't know what it is, but um, even the lone wolf goes and finds another pack at some point. Yeah. That's why he's a lone wolf. He, he left the old pack. He's going to the new one. So I think it's now's the time to unite and actually, you know, start creating the change and because before we know it, if we don't start actively creating it, uh, there's not going to be another opportunity to do so. Right. Yeah. All of this movement and these agendas are really pulling us back into a tribal, mm -hmm. um, a tribal way of life again. And yeah, I think that's wonderful that we're only going to get benefit from that. Mm -hmm. But I, I do see, I see, I say a, but because, um, I see so many distractions because of the technology and it makes it really difficult for people to um, want to put down their distractions, put them aside so that they can look into these and can make a choice and realize that they have a role to play. So, you know, if I look around me, you can still see people um, they're not looking at anybody. They're looking at their device. And this is still, this is still a huge thing. It's the majority of people I see walking around town or, or anything. It's, they're still not, uh, not aware. And I don't know if maybe they are aware, maybe when they get home, they set aside an hour to, to research or an hour to just sit in silence or I don't know, maybe, but mm -hmm. from the outside and what I can see, it's like this non-compliance and, and not not consenting to these agendas has to still come from very conscious people. So yeah. I'm, are you like, are you at all worried that there's still not enough of that conscious uh, <laughs> energy or are we getting there? We're, we're shifting pretty fast. I think but. it's, it's interesting. I, I think about this quite a bit because you do need a certain percent of people to really shift the tide, if you will. And what that percentage is, I suppose, is up for debate. I don't necessarily know. I've heard some people say you only need 1%. And I've heard people say you need 30%. And I'm like, well, <laughs> truth is somewhere probably in the middle. I don't exactly know. But I, I think there's a there's a difference. in I think there's a levels of awareness that are taking place. I think there's a lot of people, a lot of people, and this might even be the majority, a lot of people who are aware that something is going on, but they don't necessarily 
know exactly something it, one doesn't feel right Two, they're witnessing the destruction of countries all around the world. Look at the United States, for example, total free fall in terms of all of the, the policies the current administration is putting in completely desecrating a lot of the, um, I would say American spirit for a lot of people, right? So there's a level of awareness that people know something is up. They see the chaos, they see the catastrophe. I, I don't think there's that same level of conscious awareness to the deeper questions of, okay, I see this going on. So who am I? What is my place in the, in the world? What is my own actual vision of how things should be, right? There's almost like two different types of awareness. And I, I would say there's plenty of people who are aware of what's going on. I'm not sure how many people are asking those deeper questions and looking for solutions. Because if you, if you see what's going on, but you're not thinking about the bigger picture, I mean, what good does that do when the time comes to implement a solution for these problems that were created, right? A lot of people will still go along with a lot of things or they'll respond not from a place of centered, mindful awareness, which is what we need to be in, or instead they'll respond in a reactionary sense and ultimately perpetuate the same cycle of imperialism and division that we've created, right? I mean, I see a lot of people glorifying things like uh, a war and they're fighting <laughs> against the what's going on with in bloody fashion. And I understand why I guess people fantasize about it. I, I part, well, I kind of understand it. I don't really get it myself. I'm not, I'm not really like that. I'm much, I've always been sort of a peace and let's chill. Like I, I get it. There's the warrior mentality that we need certainly. And I've been myself, I've been increasing the amount of the, I guess the warrior archetype that I've been stepping in, like in a gym, for example, I'll, I've been doing a lot more like boxing and kickboxing. And, you know, I'm obsessed with throwing roundhouse kicks right now because it invokes something within me. That's like, ah, it's that warrior. But in the same sense, we can't be approaching this from a reactionary. Oh no, the walls are closing in and then freak out type of deal. Right. And I think that's a real danger for a lot of people. If they're not consciously, uh, grounding themselves into who they are you know it's one thing to be uh mindful and still and peaceful when the world is not in the place of chaos and life is going good it's a whole nother thing to have that mentality when the walls are closing in and all of this destruction is taking place can you still hold that vibration and not not react in uh, i would say so i i think there's a real danger in that i i would I don't know if I worry about that just because I, sometimes I think worrying is praying for the negative things to happen, but I'm very mindful of that. And I think it's a real possibility that we could fall trap into sort of a imperialistic or violent reaction to what's taking place. And I think that would, if anything, just accelerate a lot of this agenda. Mm -hmm. You know, we, they want us divided. They yeah. want us fighting about anything that we can. You mentioned all these distractions. That's why they're distractions because they don't want us thinking about these deeper level questions, right? I mean, it, it's really about how are we occupying the space in our mind? Are we, uh, are we choosing to participate in a lot of the divisive rhetoric, right? I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Charles Eisenstein, but he wrote a great Substack piece, uh, must've been a week or two ago. And he said, just by just by can, having a debate in the mainstream uh, narrative, whether it's on abortion or gun control, or, you know, you can list off all of these subjects that are really hyper-polarized. Just by participating in that debate, he is consenting to the framework of the debate itself. And he doesn't believe in that framework that has been created. Oh, so wow. I, 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 and I've really taken that to heart in a sense, like I don't need to, I don't want to engage in all of this sort of reactionary rhetoric that is designed to really keep us from looking at the deeper picture. Like, I don't need to talk about things like race or guns or abortion because I already know where my own morals are on those. Like, it's not up for debate in a sense of like, I, I own an AR. I'm not going to give it up. Like, I already know that. So why am I even going to engage in the debate? Like, it doesn't it doesn't matter what these people are going to do. I already know what their plans are. So my focus needs to be on first myself, keeping my own vibration high 
and then looking for the deeper truths and proposing the alternative solutions, right? So I think, I think we all really need to analyze what it is that we, I would say what it is the debates we're engaging in first and foremost, and really be mindful of the energy we're putting out because we don't want to get caught in a reactionary cycle. If something happens on the global scale and we react instead of respond, well, we're playing into, you know, the hands of this whole agenda. So I think that's really important right now to stay mindful, stay grounded. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a brand new way to respond. I don't think that humanity, at least recent history has ever had to, we've never been at this position, I don't think. So yeah, we need to learn how to respond and not react and yeah that's brilliant brilliantly put yeah yeah you brought up all these distractions that are happening in the world like on the world stage it's everything from the whole climate change (laughs) discussion and the abortions and the war and it you're you're right they're all part of the big agenda that end goal and and um you know, having conversations in, they're not conversations, but like debates, like you were saying, it kind of just fuels that, that plan. So yeah, it's so important. There's so many, so much to be aware of. And, and our, our own energy, as you pointed out is, is everything Mm -hmm. that, that kind of leads me then into tarot and how, how tarot has, how have you used it to um, maybe benefit, benefit in your own life. And I know that you have clients as well. So yeah, let's talk Mm -hmm. about how did you even start with tarot? Like when were you introduced with the deck? And yeah, it's, it's fascinating to look back on how tarot has evolved for me. Cause it was, if anything, it was one of the earlier, I guess, tools that I had for my own spiritual practice. And I, I would say first, that's what tarot is. It is a tool to guide you into the deeper levels of your own, I would say unconscious, but also conscious and and really gain a clearer vision for who you are, what you want, right? And um, for those who don't, I would say haven't used tarot, you have uh, essentially in the deck, there are, what is it? Something like, I don't remember the exact number of cards, but you have like uh, these cards called the major arcana cards, right? And these are essentially the different archetypes that you can embody. And I really relate it to like the hero's journey in a sense. Like the first card is in the major arcana is the fool, right? This is the, this is the archetype of I'm innocent, spontaneous, naive. I'm going off into the world. I'm starting the hero's journey. I don't really know what uh, I'm going to find, but you know, I'm, that's, that's cool. I'm, I, we got this. This is going to be fun and playful. Right. And it's interesting because I've that, that card in particular, I bring that one up first. That's always been my own, like there's always a card in the deck that you sort of, I guess, embody, right? Like as your own sort of personality. And that's been mine, the fool. Like I, I, I really know nothing for the most part, but because I know nothing, I'm willing to explore anything and I'll just go with the flow and allow my heart to guide me. And that's, I'm sort of the forever the forever fool. And it's my greatest strength, but it's also my greatest weakness because it's, it's led me to stupid ideas or just, you know, to lessons. I won't say stupid, stupid uh, situations, unnecessary suffering at points, but uh, that's just the archetype of it. But really what tarot does for me is it kind of creates a life map for a, a world that really lacks in true conscious life maps. Like a lot, we don't have something to measure our own spiritual journey with, right? It's very difficult to track the spiritual journey and to actually, uh, in a way, I guess, quantify that um, because in, in when you're able to actually track it and able to really look at yourself on the lens of, let's say, tarot, and something I've been doing recently is I'm actually sort of tracking my own hero's journey in a sense. And I'm writing up and maybe this will turn into my own tarot deck or a book or something, but I'm just writing up right now. Like I, there was a a point in time where I knew I was sitting in sort of that fool archetype heavily. And it's like, well, I got to go walk this new road. Let me just write about this. And let me just, as I'm progressing along, 
The next card is the magician. That's action. That's empowerment. It's like, all right, let me learn about my own creative abilities here. Right. And let me just do, 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 do without Mm -hmm. sort of stopping to think about it. You're really learning about your own potentials. And then you move into the high priestess, which is the discovery of the inner realm. And you start going inward. Right. And so I've been going in and looking at my own steps that I've been taking over the last several months and really seeing how my own personal journey out in the outer world is actually matching perfectly with the order of the cards in the tarot deck in the major arcana. And it's, it's, it's perfectly aligning in terms of like a hero's journey per se. Right. And I, I think what it, what it shows is that those 22 archetypes, they, they're universal truths, which is why I think a lot of people can resonate with the tarot and see themselves within it because all of those are speaking to, they're speaking to deeper, deeper truths about the human condition, about who we are, about our own struggles, about the path that we're going to walk, right? And that we have walked many times and we will continue to walk until mm-hmm. we're uh, out of this lifetime. And then we get in the next lifetime, we'll probably walk it again, to be honest with you. So um, for me, it's, it's really provided that life map and an ability to actually consciously recognize where I am. And mm-hmm. each archetype has its own qualities. It has its own, um, you know, focuses on what it, what is it that we need right now? And right now I've been really sitting with the, um, the, the hero font card, which is essentially means a teacher. So I've been really sitting and listening and lo- finding all these different teachers to open up different avenues of exploration for myself, because I've been the last several months, I've been doing a lot of individual journeying in the sense of, oh, I'm going to try this out. I'm going to explore this, but now I'm, I'm looking for the guidance of others and seeing what they can provide and assist me on my own journey. And it's, again, it's kind of, it kind of floors me how in alignment that was the, that's the next necessary next step. So for me, that's, that's what tarot provides. It really does provide a life map. And I sit with tarot pretty much every day for the most part, I have a few different decks and you end up using one or two in particular more than others. And some of them are more just novelties. And, you know, (laughs) it's, it's a very, um, I guess tarot will be as deep as you would like to take it on a personal level. Like there's levels to it for everybody and how deep you want to go with it. It kind of just kind of like the great mystery itself. It goes in infinite because we are infinite beings, right? So it can continue to show you these, these eternal truths that sort of play out within us on a deeper and deeper level as you continue to go um, and explore them. So, um, and I think it's important for us and whether it's through tarot or whether it's through any other modality or practice to have that conscious awareness of who we are and what we're the direction we're moving in. And if we can actually see, well, this is the energy that I most would most benefit for me to embody right now, or this is sort of where I am in my own hero's journey. This is what I can expect. Right. And, you know, I say the hero's journey in reference to Joseph Campbell's work and you know, that's the baseline for all the movies that we watch with, whether it's Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or whatnot, because it's a, it's an archetypal system that is, and we resonate with those movies because it's an archetypal system that is true on a deeper subconscious level, right? So if we can really use that same framework for ourselves, which is what I've been doing with tarot. And it's, it's interesting because I don't, I don't know if a lot of other people do that with tarot, to be perfectly honest with you. I think it's kind of my own, like, I don't know where I learned that. I, I just started, started connecting some dots and, but that's how I use it personally. And, you know, I do donation based tarot readings for people. Cause I love giving people the gift of this sort of, um, wisdom from this system. I think it can really benefit anybody to just open up the mind and heart to this deeper reality and see what comes up and, you know, we can't run the, we can't run from the shadows when we use something like tarot, as I've learned many times, the deck will smack you in the face and tell you exactly what you don't want to face, but that's exactly what we need to be doing right now in all areas of our life and sit with those harder truths and actually transmute them to a space of light. So then we can be further empowered and 
you know, live in alignment with what our dreams, what our vision is. So, um, yeah, that's sort of my synopsis on tarot. Everybody, every person who does tarot is going to have their own way of communicating and sitting with the cards, but that's my own, um, I would say understanding of them. That's a, that's a brilliant way to use them at like as a life map. I've never really heard that to use them in that way. So that's really, really interesting. Um, it's like having a shaman, you know, yeah. just sitting next to you every day. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's they so provide good. that shamanic wisdom in a sense. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, and it, it's interesting because I definitely, like you just said, you haven't heard that before. I, I hadn't really either. You don't see that sort of, I would say emphasis on tarot or really any other practice to be truly in that shamanic role. But I think that's something that's really important for us to find those shamanic practices, to find our shamanic roots, because that is the solution. At least when I look at the things happening on the global scale, the, the, the roots in shamanism, in our shamanistic nature, that is going to provide the, I would say the answer to what we're seeking. And all of us, what we're really seeking is just love. We're seeking connection. And even the Bill Gates of the world, why is it that he's so controlling? Well, his mother probably didn't love him, to be perfectly honest. And that's trickling down into his, uh, to his radical controlling methods. Or he always needed to achieve or do or do something in order to receive love, right? Mm-hmm. And I think what we need to recognize is that we're already worthy. We're already enough. Like We don't need to actually do anything to have love and have connection. And for me, a practice like tarot or any of these other uh, modalities that exist, that's, it's, a, it's a reminder of that. Out of the, the deepest, that's the deepest truth there is. We are already worthy of love because we are love at our core. And that's, what, that's, that's the essence of all of our unconscious desires. It's a returning to that connection, that oneness, that beauty, that love. So I, I think that's what we need to tap into. And I think a practice like tarot can help with that. Or, but you know, there's many other ways to explore. And I think create, I think it's important to create a life map in a sense, however, mm-hmm. somebody wants to do that, because, you know, if you can map out your own reality, map out who you are, when you get to the center of it, you'll recognize that you're loved and there's nothing more beautiful than that. Then you get to consciously create and be empowered and go into the world and really make a difference, really make a change because you're operating on a whole different bandwidth than what our system is operating on. Yeah, that's, it's such a cool tool to use for that. Yeah, Yeah. like you say, there's so many ways we can kind of create that life map, but yeah, Mm -hmm. through the tarot is is super interesting. Um, Beliefs, I'd wanna get your take on beliefs and how, how you go about personally changing beliefs because these paradigm shifts, I mean, it's, you know, in a lifetime, everybody's going to be different, but there are paradigm shifts that happen numerous mm-hmm. times in people's own individual lifetime. And I've had paradigm shifts happen instantaneously. And other times it's uh, like, I, I struggle, I struggle changing beliefs and beliefs that I know do not serve me. What, what do you do? Like, I know it's kind of, it's a tough question because, you know, someone can say something mm-hmm. in just the right way and it, it shifts something for you. And, and yeah. someone beside you could be listening to that same conversation and not react in any way. So it, yeah. what do you do just about going by or going about changing limiting mm-hmm. beliefs? Right. And, and what you just spoke to is having the, the two different um, people where it changes you, but maybe it doesn't change me. It's all about our own conditioning, all about our own programming, what we've learned and what we've experienced, right? So mm-hmm. I think it's important to recognize that we are all these balls of conditioning that are so unique and vast that the there isn't going to be one exact way. But I even look at, you know, to start unpacking beliefs, I look at the word belief itself, right in the middle of the word, L-I-E, lie, <laughs> belief, <laughs> nothing but lies. That's it. Wow. So, even in the word itself, we can, if you unpack it, and that's something I've been really focusing on, the roots of words, a belief is nothing more than a structured lie most of the time, right? That's really all it is. Beliefs are not truth. They are beliefs. 
What is, can a true, can a belief be based off of truth? Certainly, absolutely. We, we, ideally our beliefs are based off of truth, but how do we know that truth is always finite in its nature and that it's always going to stay the same, right? We always need to be consciously aware of what our own beliefs are. And this is, you know, kind of speaking to what we were talking about earlier about asking those deeper questions and how I mentioned that young quote earlier, where we're operating on a myth, right? Good chance that the majority of them are false. A lot of those beliefs are going to be about self. It's going to be about um, the ideas that we hold about ourselves in relation to the world. And so I think the first step is just that conscious reckoning and that's okay. Like we don't need to know everything. We don't need to be these, uh, all knowing, all seeing like guru type of people. Right. I think I was listening to Ram Das and he said, um, he was talking about, he was talking with Alan Watts and him and Alan Watts were in a conversation and they weren't, this wasn't like a recorded conversation, but he was telling a story about how Alan Watts told him was his Ram Das's biggest problem was that he was too busy trying to be a guru <laughs> instead of just being himself. Right. And I think that's a lot. It speaks to a lot of our own problems or conditions or challenges that we face. We're too busy trying to be something based on our beliefs instead of being ourselves. And, you know, we have to go into every single interaction, every situation with the willingness to be wrong, with the willingness to learn, with the willingness to change, because change is going to happen whether we're conscious of it or not. And so we might as well take the conscious driver's seat and be the, uh, be the, uh, I don't know, the one who embraces change instead of repressing it and hiding from it because we're going to change either way. So I would say to start unpacking beliefs, we have to just ask the question, who am I beyond name, beyond identity, beyond job, beyond all, all these different uh, titles that we tend to use in terms of relation uh, to ourselves. And, you know, maybe it's, I guess if somebody is introducing themselves, they have a set story that they're ready to say, right? How do we drop that set story to identify with a deeper level of truth? That's what I would encourage people to start thinking about. And what is that deeper level of truth? Well, if somebody were to ask, who am I? I mean, obviously, if it's, it's, if it's a small talk scenario, I guess I'll give them the lowdown of identity that I try not to cling to. But if I'm asking myself and I want to be radically honest mm -hmm. in terms of who am I? Well, I'm not Evan McDermott. Certainly, that's a, that's a role that I play. But I'm much deeper than that. I am an extension of source. I am an extension of light. I am here. I am alive. I am full of meaning and I am full of purpose just because of the fact that I am alive and just because of the fact there is beauty all around me, whether I choose to tap into it or not, right? This is a grand miracle that we're even here. And the the, so the beauty of life is always on full display. And so can we tap into that and choose to self-identify with that knowing? Because we all know that's truth at the deepest level. We know that's true. We can't deny that. So that's where I try and place my own self-identification. Now, if I was at a party and somebody asked who I am and I said that, it might not go over very well. But again, time and place. So Start with that self-identification and that will extend into looking at a lot of those other beliefs that we hold, because a lot of the beliefs are just about our ego or just about our identity. Mm -hmm. If you identify as an infinite and eternal source of light and love and infinite beauty, well, you can't hold beliefs that aren't in alignment with that, right? So yeah. it's really about asking what fits, what resonates is this belief uh, does it actually support that story of being an infinite being of light and love? And if not, okay, it's probably served you up until this point. It was probably a response to trauma or pain. And we used it to uh, prevent that pain, but sit with it, sit with the heart and say to this belief, because it has energy and it will listen to your words. It will listen to your conscious intent. And truly mean it when you say it, I am ready to let you go. You no longer serve me. I thank you for wanting to protect me or wanting to um, serve me in the capacity that you know how, but I no longer need your protection or your service. Thank you. And let it go. It's just, and it, it's, it's a practice that you have to do over time. I mean, you can certainly 
have profound shifts happen in an instant, like you mentioned earlier, but a lot of times it is sort of that, um, it's more of a drawn out process. You have to continue exploring this because the depth that these beliefs go are unbelievable. It's unbelievably deep. How, how, and oftentimes we think we figure one out and we think we let it go. And then mm -hmm. lo and behold, it gets triggered on a deeper level. And I'm like, whoa, it's still there. Okay. I see you're still operating on a subconscious level. Yeah. So yeah. uh, it's, it's important to just continue that exploration and, and recognize it is an infinite journey in a sense, because we're infinite and eternal beings. We have to recognize that, you know, we might get to a point where we are fully healed, right? I don't want to say that that's not possible. I believe it is. And I believe, you know, I look at where I was two years ago or even the last time we talked and I mm -hmm. am much more healed and resonant and loving than I was capable of previously, but I know I still have work to do. But that doesn't mean I can't take solace now in recognizing the beauty, but also recognizing that there's still more to do. And that's okay. But mm -hmm. you, you get to that point where you just sort of embrace the, the beliefs and you can kind of laugh at them and say, oh, that's guiding my choices in this part of my life. How silly of me. And you, and you work with it. So um, it kind of turns into a game at a certain point. But the, I'd say the toughest part is that initial step and really unpacking it because a lot of people, we don't know where to start. So yeah. I, th I think it's important to start at least for how I started. And, you know, I think this could work for other people. I've seen it work for other people is with that self-identification yeah. and asking those deeper questions. I love that answer, Evan. Thank you so much. I think it's so valuable. Wow. Um, the way that we identify with the ego, you're right. You just highlighted it and pinpointed it so clearly that our beliefs are just our ego, right? Our, that mm -hmm. ego state. But when we let go of that and we, we know the truth instead, mm -hmm. we know who we are at, a tr at the level of truth at that deeper level, beliefs can't touch us. Exactly. Like it, that kind of, that just shifted in me as you said it. It was like, oh my God, I never thought of it that way at all. So, wow, thank you so much. That's, oh, you're welcome. that's an amazing answer. Oh, wow. um, I wanted to also ask you about um, the idea of a gift economy, because I noticed that, um, yeah, you've been, you've been doing things as a, as gifts, like your tarot readings and, mm -hmm. and yeah, I just, I think that's amazing. I, I want to learn a little bit more about, um, your whole concept of the gift economy and why you chose to do that. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because it's something I've always been gravitated towards and it's actually prevented like this. I would say doing things like tarot and, you know, uh, masculinity coaching or shadow work or, you know, sitting one-on-one -on -one with people, having that fully committed to gift economy is sort of new. I tried it in the past and I actually had some initial success, but then I got criticism from people and I took that criticism to the heart instead of standing strong in my own, uh, knowing that the gift economy was for me. And so I put prices back on it. Right. Cause I was like, Oh, they must know better. They're, they're more rich or they're more successful than me. Like, right. So the, the essence of the gift economy and how I look at it is it starts with understanding what is gifted. And I've been sitting and I, I go, one of my conscious intentions lately, almost sort of like a personal mantra is how can I give, right? Uh, how can I give, whether it's to another person, if I'm out in nature, how can I give to the land? How can I give? How can I give? How can I give? How can I be of service, right? And so when I look at things like my tarot readings or anything that I do, I've never had my podcast behind a paywall, for example, or I've never put my sub stack on a paywall uh, just because in my heart, I knew that I couldn't actually charge for that content. Like there, like I, I didn't, I don't do my work expecting anything in return is what I would say, especially with the podcast and with the writing. I've never expected anything in return, which is kind of why I never put it behind a paywall. But when we start to understand the law of attraction and the law of reciprocation and how it actually works when we, when we fully choose to give without expectation, the natural byproduct of that is you receive. Like that, it's the laws of nature. It's how it works, right? So I've decided personally to put my full trust in that and just say, I know that I will be provided for as long as I am radically committed to giving. 
and being of service, right? And this is how before this Western material paradigm, that this is how we operated. We operated on gifts and bartering, right? I had a beautiful moment that showed me the power of bartering. And this was, um, this was in Joshua Tree National Park, actually. And I, there was this guy I just met and it was, he was a close friend of two of my other close friends. So, I mean, anybody who's close friends with my close friends is generally going to be a good, I'm going to trust them right away. And, you know, him and I were, we were, we had a really interesting conversation and, um, there was plant medicines and psilocybin. And so, I mean, it was a very, uh, eye-opening experience certainly, but, but towards the end of the night and we were sitting out and out under the stars and I was wearing this, um, I used to have this like native vest. It was like a very, like from India, very, very, uh, I think it was made of like hemp, really beautiful material, but I was feeling a little cold and he was wearing this winter coat that was super warm. And so we swapped and eventually later in the night, we kind of just looked at each other and, and I said, do you want to do a Jersey swap? And I was referring to like how in the, in the NBA, the best players will trade jerseys at the end of game end of games as like a sign of respect. I said, do you want to do a Jersey swap? I really respect you. I think you're a great person. I think we should like, let's trade. That can be your vest. This can be my coat. And we loved it. But there was some, there was a deep bonding that happened through that moment of, I'm going to give you this and I'm receiving this. Right. And we're giving something because I loved that vest. That was actually my favorite vest. But I was able to, I, I, I received so much more from actually giving it to him and not just in the, oh, I got a cool coat in return, like in the material sense. And this is why, like in the NBA, why they do a jersey swap, because it, it, it's something deeply tribal within us to show signs of respect and love. And it's like, wow, you've really opened my eyes and we've had this wonderful connection. Let's give for one another. Right. And that was a really eye-opening experience for me because I never felt, I guess, reciprocity on such a on such a deep level. And I and but I recognized how innately a part of me that that was and how instinctual that happened when I felt the moment to do so. Right. And so that, that was kind of an eye-opening experience for me. And this was this happened after. I had already lost my initial faith in the gift economy and I got scared. So, you know, recently when I, you know, I, I just decided that by trying, by trying to set a fixed price or trying to do this and trying to control it, I'm actually creating a sense of scarcity within myself. And this is just for me personally. It doesn't necessarily mean this is true for everybody or the gift economy is right for everybody in this time. I understand how the world operates and, you know, it's a big, it's a big leap of faith to try and like, do something like that. But I recognize I was cre- one creating a perpetual sense of scarcity by needing to control and expect a certain demand mm-hmm. by offering up certain services. And then two, I look at the state of the world. Do I want to operate in that game? Do I want to operate in this sort of material uh, conquest competition type of world? No, it doesn't resonate at all. It doesn't resonate with many of us, yet we all still continue to play and still continue to perpetuate the idea of this, I would say, illusionary economy game, whatever it is. I don't even know if I have the right words for it, but we all continue to participate in it, even if we don't like it. So I just decided, you know, there's going to be certain areas in my life where I obviously have to participate in it, but I'm going to remove myself from it to the maximum extent possible. And that's by aligning my heart with full gifting mm-hmm. in the, in the purest sense. Yeah. And I know by doing that, and even if the return isn't immediate, and even if the return isn't material, it's still there. So I just, I just trust in that knowing because I know it's true. I know it's true. Like I, we, we try and quantify it by expecting a certain amount of money or a certain amount of whatever it may be, but we know it's true. And you know, our, our abundance, we have to recognize that materialism in itself is, a, is an illusion and abundance often exists outside of material forms. And certainly there's a certain level of money that we need to have to survive. I get that. And that will come as long as we trust in this process. 
but abundance isn't always money. And I I'm beginning to recognize that and truly embrace that as I do this as well. And, you know, money is still coming. So it's like, Oh, wow. Oh, great. That's fine. This works. So, um, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to just put my full faith in that. And now I'm not too worried about criticism because I am actually, I actually, I have a deeper recognition of why I'm doing it as before it was sort of more on the fool's impulse in a way. Um, but now there's, I've kind of learned the lessons of what it actually means and why it works for me. And I don't know if it'll work for everybody. I mean, you really have to have a radical level of trust in the, Mm -hmm. in the knowing that what you give, you ultimately receive back. Um, you really have to feel that and embody it. It can't be an intellectual knowing. Uh, to actually embrace that because it comes back to beliefs. A lot of times we perpetuate beliefs of scarcity, beliefs of thinking we need to control. And even if we say we're giving, we say we're giving, are we always truly giving or are we actually expecting something in return? And it's a good question to sit with because there have been points in my life where I thought I was pure in my giving intention, but deep down there's a lust for more material or whatever it may be. Right. So just need to be honest with ourselves and, you know, the trust in the uh, power of gift economy. Cause I want to live in a world that operates on the gift economy. I don't want to live in a world where money is the great divider and it's a competition and it's, we need to achieve in order to quote unquote, be successful. Right. I, I believe in a, a stronger, stronger way is through gifting and through bartering and through, you know, through that, we take care of ourselves and one another and still create consciously and actually uh, live in alignment with our purpose because mm-hmm. then we create based off of that. We all know people who don't uh, pursue their dreams because it's not going to quote unquote, get them money, right? What if they brought their talents to the surface and then brought that to the world? right? It, it doesn't have to operate around money. It has to operate around spirit. That's the true currency. So that's, that's what I'm aligning myself with. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. It can't, you kind of just explain the true meaning of the joy of giving because it, yeah. it's just a whole nother level and you've experienced it. Like it's, that's really neat. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to just, to just sit with that and, and feel the resonance that comes from it. Cause it's when you can give, I don't think there's anything more fulfilling yeah. Yeah. It's the same idea as when you help somebody with something, you, you're, you help them realize something. It has, it could be something so small or, mm-hmm. but it is, it's, you feel true joy. It's not a conceptual thing. It's a, it's a feeling, a resonance. I think we're definitely moving to that space more and more. It's just that shift is happening. So I just yeah. found that really intriguing and I want to ask you about it. So thanks for sharing that. That's oh, yeah, anytime. Um, yeah. I just, as we start to close up here, I would I would be interested to hear if you have um, a favorite like personal podcast that you've done on your show that would be beneficial, you think, for people right now. Mm, Just to point oh, us wow. to to one. Yeah. I'm gonna leave links in, in the show notes for your podcast and your mm-hmm. stack, but yeah, what's an episode, even if it's not a, a recent one that you, you think know, really- yeah. What I would say is it's actually one that I did fairly recently that really made a huge impact on me personally is was with Paul check. And a lot of people know Paul check He's a very well known, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, what's his, well, I don't know what I would call a title. He does so much. Right. So, but I did a podcast with him and I titled it, what would love do now? And because there was our, our conversation centered around, what's going on in the world, but how is it that we actually combat and look at all of these different areas of our lives and look at all these different areas and things that are taking place. And every throughout our conversation, it kept coming back to that idea of what would love do now? What would love do now? We can align ourselves and ask that question in just about every scenario in our lives. Well, we're going to get the right answer. (laughs) I can guarantee you that, right? And I've kind of taken that on as a personal mantra as of late. What would love do now? What would love do now? Whatever situation I'm in. And it's, it's really opened up some doorways for me and some transformative uh, experiences. So I, I would highlight that one in particular. And any conversation that I've done, I've 
with James Tunney in particular, if people want to learn about something like transhumanism, um, I just, I'm putting one up literally later today that him and I did we've him and I have had four conversations now. So first one was two and a half hours. Second one was three hours. Third one was with him and Alex Zek. So Alex Zek hopped on that call as well. And then the last one, three and a half hours. So that really dives into transhumanism. If people want to uncover a lot of the history and the roots of that and uh, understand how it is creeping into our lives on a deeper level. Um, and those are always incredibly revel, like the revelations that I get from those po- the podcasts with him, are, it really shapes a lot of my own work, as you've seen, you know, writing about transhumanism and mm-hmm. sort of not just about transhumanism though, because James in particular has such a deep understanding of spiritual consciousness and who we are and uh, truly a modern day mystic in the fullest sense. So that's why I really resonate with his work and the conversations that he has on transhumanism because, you know, he's so, he's so aligned in who he is. And I'm like, wow, like that, like that's the teacher that I need right now. So those are always fantastic conversations. And, um, you know, I, I, I really, it's tough for me. I was actually, I just launched two episode 200. That was with Paul check episode 200. And I was going to do a top 10 list of my favorite episodes. And I didn't do it because I couldn't pick just 10. That was too difficult for me. So, um, you know, I, I would say people can go on to and just explore and see what, what calls out to them. Um, there, there's subjects on there for everybody and based on their own, uh, I don't know, interests in this. And based on what we talked about today, this, that is a lot of what we talked about today is sort of an underlying theme, certainly of my show. And it trickles into a lot of the, the shows and, but there's, there's something on there for everybody. So just explore, see what's happening. And, you know, I'd say, let, let the heart, uh, guide you. What ask the question, what would love do now? And let love pick the episode. Yeah. I love that. That's such a, that's a great way to round out this conversation. Um, yeah, I appreciate you so much, Evan. Thanks for your energy and your resonance here. And um, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. I, I Every time you uh, release an episode, I'm just on top of it because your work resonates so much with me and, and you've helped a lot of, uh, you know, just, just the way I see things, the perspective and everything. So thank you. Thank you for that. I'm so excited to share this conversation with my listeners. And I know that, um, I knew it was going to be gem filled and it was, you never disappoint. So oh, thank you. yeah. Thank you so very much. Oh, thank you. Such a, such a pleasure to have you on. You're, like the work that you're doing truly makes a difference. Like, I think if we were to like, look at our own, I guess the domino effect that we have from a, a bird's eye view and like see the totality of the difference that we can all make, like we'd be blown away by it. And that goes definitely for what you're doing as well. So it's always a pleasure to come on here. Like I'm happy to come on literally anytime, just like let me know. And you know, it's, it's always fun to talk with you and just explore, you know, you have, you, you really have a great platform and it's filled with love light. And the fact that I can be here and take part in it, nothing better than that. Yay. Warms my heart. Wonderful. I'm happy to hear that. Well, thanks again, Evan. And we'll, um, we'll catch up with you another time for sure. All right. That sounds wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune into this episode. If you found some value in it, please consider subscribing and leave an honest review in iTunes. I'd love to help get this information out to more people and go ahead and share it with a friend. You can reach and connect with me at tanyaverquin.ca or on the socials at tanyaverquin.ca.